the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I am grateful that you're here this evening. Thank you for coming out and thank you for supporting the meeting. I do encourage you, if you would, to be in your places this week as best you can. If you have to work and come late, come late. It's okay. We'd rather have you here than not. We're going to have at least a hundred or so guests that are coming, and we want them to meet you. We've told them a lot about you. We want you there, so please come. And then, of course, the morning services as well. And let me say, kind of put on a different hat for the moment and say as our role, not my role as a speaker in the conference, but my role with Worldwide, to say this, thank you for hosting us. This is not a small endeavor. This is huge. It's, you know, and then at the spur of the moment for your church to jump in and assist Brother, Brother Elworts serves it there at, um, in New Testament Kinston. They were the church that had all the difficulties with the flooding, and that's why we ended up here. And you guys, we, Brother Whetstone called and said, hey, could we bring 150 of our closest friends? And would you feed us and house us and let us stay forever? And for some reason you said yes. But we thank you for that. Thank you for your kindness. And we don't take it lightly. And the families that are here, um, I know who are part of the conference itself, are appreciative of your hospitality. And thank you, Brother Bullock, for your presentation, tonight, or your uh, sharing your burden. And, uh, and our brother, uh, Dev Coda, thank you. I went straight with Dakota. Dev Coda, thank you for your presentation this evening as well. Forgive me for messing up your name. It's like O'Malley. It's really easy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. I'll read this passage in your hearing. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Dear Father, I pray this evening that you will fill me with your spirit. I pray that you will help your people to listen attentively as we take this journey all around this whole subject of the eternal weight of glory, that we will listen, learn, heed, see our own need, change what you don't like about us, fix what's wrong within our heart. Holy Spirit, would you please have your way in our lives. Your, please be welcome to convict us. You are welcome to change us. May we be a people who welcome you and not resist your power. Father, I need your touch tonight and strength as I try to communicate that which you've placed upon my heart. Thank you for both presentation and burden shared with us this evening. Take us through this journey, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 16, Paul says, for which cause? That verse ties to chapter 4 and verse number 1, which chapter 4, verse number 1, connects to chapter 3, verse 6 and verse 8. These are all linked together. Keep in mind, this is one large letter that Paul writes to this church. This morning, I started on this quest with you. A quest means that it gets permission to speak for a long, long time. If it was just a sermon, it'd be like 20 minutes, but this quest makes it sound epic. So when 
I said to you this morning, there were some questions about that text that I wanted you to consider with me. One of the things we looked at was the, were the contrasts that were in this verse. We have the contrast for the body. There is this inward man and outer man. We have co- the contrast concerning strength. That is to say that he can become faint or he can become renewed. We also had the contrast of a moment in time versus eternity. But then we talked about the one that was probably the most complex because Paul compared afflictions, which is a literal event that occurs in our lives, to this eternal weight of glory. And to me, in my mind, one was an abstract and one was literal. And to put those on the scale, and so we began to look at, well, why did he call his afflictions light? And if you recall this morning, I tried to share with you, and I, I will, uh, by way of illustration again, do the same so you can remember. Afflictions are those difficulties that occur in our lives. Now, Sam had me fixed up earlier, and I'm going to try this and see if this works. But if we talk about Paul's afflictions, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten with rods, He was stoned. He was killed. And yet, in that, he dealt with perils of his own countrymen. Perils of robbers. And all these difficulties. And I I look at that and I say, okay, he is weighing on one side of the scale these afflictions. Then we talked about He called them light. How could you call? I mean, how many times have you all died in your lives? Think about that one. Paul said, I've died more than anybody. I've worked harder than anybody. I've been in prison more than anybody. But how does he call that light? Well, I think... When we answer the question, we have to say, my afflictions become light when I focus on my relationship with Christ more than my afflictions. Because what happened then is, Paul said, on that side of the scale are my afflictions. But then on this side of the scale is the eternal weight of glory. And all of a sudden, my afflictions become light. So then I ask the question, what is God's glory? And why is it considered heavy? Because if our afflictions that are dramatic and real become light, when the more that I, when I focus more on my relationship with Christ, then how is it that God's glory is considered heavy? Well, it goes back to the cultural usage of the word. Because when God shows up and shows his person of who he is as God and shows his presence. Remember in the Old Testament, they had the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And when God showed his presence, his people knew he was there. So the glory of God is shown in God's person, 
He's creator. He is Lord. He is Savior. It is shown in his presence that he is with his people. And it's also the glory of God is shown in his promise. That is to say that he he has promised to come and get us and let us enter into his glory. He's letting us in. When Paul said, when I put my focus on my the eternal weight of glory as composed to this, which is a light affliction. It is then that my whole countenance changes. What if you and I did this? What if we took... My family problems, my marriage problems, I'm speaking widely, Kim, wherever you're seated. (laughs) My ministry problems, my job problems, problems with my own friends. And I start looking at all that and say, ah, I'm just weighed down. But what if I then turned and looked at the other side of the scale and say, God, your glory is so great. Your power, your person, your presence, your promise makes all of those light. Some of us are not willing to put the eternal weight of glory on the other side of the scale. All we want to do is say, wow, did you see what that weighed? And then we pull out more. We got more. We say, okay, did you see what that weighed? And did you see what that weighed? And the truth is, is that the eternal weight of glory has to bring those things into our heart and say, that's light. And then Paul said, the third question I asked this morning, what is the far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. And this is where you and I would understand this as extra and extra and extra, excess and excess and excess. It's it's the idea of saying more upon more. It's more than a super big gulp at 7-Eleven, okay? I'm just telling you, it's not just saying I got a Coke and not got a really big one and a really, really big one, but it's the idea of saying that this is huge. God's glory is so vast. God's glory is so great that it is on one on top of the other. In fact, I read one man who wrote this. He said, the problem with describing the glory of God is that you use words. Do you get that? Why? Because the glory of God is indescribable. It's inexhaustible. It's incomprehensible. And in fact, even with Paul saying all of this about the eternal weight of glory, it's incalculable. That is to say, Paul said, I'm going to choose weight as the way to describe God's glory. But even when you go to what the weight of God's glory is, it's excess upon excess. It's his glory has got glory and that glory has glory. That's how big our God is. This must influence us. And that is the story of 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 shows me five areas where the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's view. 
in the first three verses, we can see that the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's view of the ministry. In the next three verses, it influenced Paul's view of the gospel. In the next seven verses, it influenced Paul's view of trials. And then in the next, the remaining verses of the chapter and the first ten verses of the next chapter, it shows that Paul's view of today and tomorrow were influenced by the eternal weight of glory. So between now and next Sunday morning, the messages that I preach, unless the Lord leads otherwise, will be how the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's life. And I want to just talk tonight about how the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's view of the ministry. Go with me to verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. Remember now, verse 16 said, for which cause? The link between verse 16 and verse number 1 exists, but yet when it says in verse number 1 of chapter 4, therefore we have this ministry, turn back a page if you need to, but look at chapter 3, verse 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Who made them able ministers of the New Testament? God did. God made Paul a minister. You say, well, what is ministry? Ministry is a role that we take to serve in the interests of another. And so Paul said, God made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul said, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy... We faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Number one, I want you to see tonight how the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's view of the ministry. The first thing I see it did, it influenced his heart. What do you mean his heart? Notice what Paul said, therefore seeing we have this ministry, that's the role that you serve in the, in the interests of another. He said, I have this ministry. We have received mercy. We faint not. The eternal weight of glory. This side of the scale, if you will, Paul looked at it and said, that is what moves me. It has touched my heart. And if you, in fact, go with me to Acts 9 and I'll show you something clearly what Paul said, uh, well, what God said about Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse number 15. This is a conversation that the Lord had with Ananias when he was going to get Saul. Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 15 and 16. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul's heart was set aside for God. God chose Paul for ministry. And the reason why I say this to you tonight is that you and I have to recognize when we got saved, This eternal weight of glory has to be the thing that moves my heart. The eternal weight of glory has to touch me. That side, the far side of the scale, has to be the side of the scale that says, God, 
There's something that you have for me to do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 for just a moment. I'll show you another thought that we have here. Paul is referenced as being a chosen vessel to be a representative. God chose him a ministry to bear Christ's name to the Gentiles and to the Jews and to kings. But notice what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. In verse number 11, and wouldn't you know that would be 2 Timothy 1.11, right? And everybody knows that, not me. Exactly, 2 Timothy 1. The guy who types my notes messed that up. <laughs> 2 Timothy 1.11. Of course, I have many friends in this room who could have corrected me on that, but did not. They just simply... Let me find my own errors. Verse 11, Paul said, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. He was appointed. So when I think about what real ministry is, real ministry comes with a divine enabling. Real ministry comes with a divine evaluation. Real ministry comes with a divine enlistment. This is how God indicates to everybody, I want you to do this. When you realize the eternal weight of glory, it should touch your heart and realize I must serve. There must be something that I do. What do you do around here? Because of the eternal weight of glory. How has the eternal weight of glory changed your heart? So, Brother O'Malley, I just come here, I sit here, I watch, I enjoy the music, I enjoy the preaching, I enjoy the stuff, the activities that we have, looking forward to the watermelon, this is a good thing, I like all those things. But what do you do because the eternal weight of glory is real in your life? It ought to touch your heart to the place of ministry. Paul said, I got picked to do the ministry. God does indicate to his people what he wants them to do. Pastor was talking about that tonight. But it didn't just touch Paul's heart for the sake of ministry. It also touched Paul's heart for the sake of mercy. He said, as we have, as we have this ministry, as we have received mercy. Look at verse 12 of this same passage where we are and realize what Paul is saying. That when he realized how he got to where he was, verse 12, for which cause... I also, I'm reading from 2 Timothy 1.12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And again, you know what I did? I need to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Not, and I apologize for this. I normally try not to make these mistakes, and I did it twice tonight. Now I need you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12 and see what Paul said. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer. We're talking about the mercy part of this. When the eternal weight of glory showed up in Paul's heart and life. He said I was, a, I was before as a blasphemer, persecutor, injurious. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The eternal weight of glory affected Paul's heart because he knew it was only by God's mercy. Paul wasn't church qualified. The great pretty Christian story, I was born into a Christian home and raised by Christian parents and went to a Christian college and met a Christian wife and I, everything was perfect and rosy in my life. No, Paul came with baggage. He was, what we would say is, it was messy. But that's the guy who realized what mercy was. When you focus on the eternal weight of glory, it changes your heart. Changes your heart and says, what can I do to serve? How can I serve in the interests of Christ? What can I do for him? When the eternal weight of glory shows up in your heart, it also will present itself by you saying, really, I don't deserve anything. I am nothing. I deserve nothing. I know people who are nothing, and all of us are nothing. Were it not for God's grace, and were it not for God's power, were it not for God's mercy, without his love, Paul said, I would not have been where I am. In fact, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And that wasn't some pious statement that he was making he genuinely believed I am the worst of the worst and he said but I obtained mercy and God put me in this thing what makes people think like that what changes someone's heart well what changes someone's heart to reach that place is to say the eternal weight of glory affects my heart it makes me realize I have something to do And I have a way to act toward others because of the way Christ acted toward me. How did Christ treat me? With mercy. Paul said I was a blasphemer. I was injurious. I hurt people. And now I get this picked for the ministry. And God put me. That's all mercy. All of that goes under the category of mercy. There's nothing that I did. But what did Paul look at? And he said, well... The eternal weight of glory, and we know he's going to write that in just a few verses. But when we look at this, we realize it touched his heart. If this doesn't affect your heart, that God's glory doesn't put you in the ministry, I'm not talking about pastoring a church. I'm not talking about, you know, being, unless that's what God has for you. I'm just talking about something that you do at memorial to move the gospel forward. The eternal weight of glory touches hearts. If that weight of glory does not touch your heart, then it's time for you to return to a place of evaluation of where you are spiritually. I'm not saying you're not saved. I never would say that. What I'm saying to you is, is that if God's glory doesn't make you take your eyes off your problems and make you want to do something for him, then you're understanding this process all wrong. I'm saved by grace. I could work all of my days and God will not make me any more saved than I am saved right now. 
I could do nothing all my days and I would not be any more saved than I'm saved right now. But when the eternal weight of glory is realized in my life, I realize those afflictions through which I go are light because my mind is set on the glory of God, His power, His person, His presence, His promise. I know I'm out of here one day. And when I'm gone, I'll be with Him. And so in the meantime, I want to realize I have something to do for Him. Ministry. I got here because of mercy, not my own merit. And notice the third thing he says. Paul says, in, and I'm, now I'm going back to 2 Corinthians 4, where I'm quite certain that's the right reference. And notice what he says in verse number 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, so that's how the eternal weight of glory affected his heart. He saw he had a ministry. How the eternal weight of glory affected his heart was, he realized he had mercy. And then the third thing I want you to see is that the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul's heart because he had a mission. What was Paul's mission? Notice, if you would please, we faint not. That is to say that we do not become discouraged, we do not lose hope, we do not lose heart, and we do not give up. When we are in the business of serving the interests of another, the king of glory, and he's given us a task to do, we keep our eyes fixed on the eternal weight of glory, and we don't quit. Say, well, Brother O'Malley, this is church. Nobody would ever quit anything. They would just get their job, and they would do it at the church, and everything would be great. No one would just drop out. No one would just not show up. Everybody would do their stuff. It's just a peachy, perfect place. Yeah, it's your first day. When I realize the eternal weight of glory, I can't quit. When I realize the eternal weight of glory, I have to keep going. Brother Wyrick is here tonight. He and his wife have served both in Siberia and Delta Junction, Alaska. You say, what's the difference between the two? The passport. But nonetheless. <laughs> wow, Sky. That's good. <laughs> but you know what it is to serve in anonymity. You know what it's like to be alone. You know what it's like to have not a lot of fruit. But this week, he's going to come and stand and share to those who come how the eternal weight of glory kept him going. When the eternal weight of glory touches your heart, you realize, I have something I should do for Christ. I've received mercy. I didn't get in on my own merit. I I got mercy. And I can't quit. I have a mission. I have something I have to do. We don't leave anybody behind. We go and we do the task and we finish the task and we don't drop out. And so you get a bus route or you get a Sunday school class or you get work in the nursery like Kim Fain. Well, you're in church tonight. What in the world? Just because I'm preaching. Brother Danny, watch for her tomorrow night. She won't be. Someone gave her the wrong schedule. That's why she's here. But you, you go serve in the nursery. Now, if you don't realize, Kim Fain is merciless to me. And this is my, like my only opportunity. I'm always kind to her and, well, whatever. All I can say is just check Facebook. Launching attacks at me. But you can say, I, I was serving the, in the nursery. 
and, and oh, look at all these places. I could be an usher. I could do those things. And then you quit when the first opposition comes, when the first affliction shows up, and you say, oh, this affliction weighs more than God's glory. There is no affliction that I will face in my life that will ever outweigh the glory of God. Every single time you can count up all of your afflictions, and none of them will outweigh God. They are becoming light because God's glory is above all. When the eternal weight of glory touches me or influences me, it affects my heart. Number two, it influences or affects my mind. Paul says in verse two, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. I want you to see in this section one very simple thought. The eternal weight of glory influences, has to influence the way we think. The eternal weight of glory made Paul draw a line of separation that says to renounce something is to disown. To renounce something is to disavow. To renounce something is to walk away from. To simply say, I want nothing more to do with that. And Paul looked at the old life and looked at the new life and simply said, the eternal weight of glory says, I draw the line where God draws the line. And he said, I renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Notice what he says in verse number 2. Hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. Each of these talk about separation from the world, separation from the wicked, but also separation from religious hypocrites. Notice the third thing that gets lumped in with the other two. There were those who had dishonest, they were, uh, sorry, the, the hidden things of dishonesty, those who were walking in craftiness, kind of the deceptive type of life. And then he says, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul called for a separation from the ways of the world and the ways of the wicked, but separation from the religious hypocrites. Chapter 2, go back two pages or a page or two to chapter 2, verse 17, and see what Paul says, and see if I got the reference right. Verse 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, In the sight of God, speak we Christ. You see, there are going to be those who adulterate the word with their teaching. There will be those who in their preaching will twist the word of God. You say, well, Brother O'Malley, this guy on TV, he's amazing. He's just, I mean, I never get offended by what he said. I come here, Pastor Weston, it's like the guy is all over me every week. But I watch this guy on TV and she's just, she, he's just amazing. I buy this person's books and she's amazing. She writes this stuff and it's just, I just feel good about myself. Paul said, the eternal weight of glory makes me have a line of separation. I renounce those things. In fact, if anybody takes the word of God and adulterates it, and I know I, that is a word that I think you should know the meaning, it perverts its in, intention and takes it to another place that it ought not to be no, without fidelity, without staying with the truth. And if you, t- if you hear somebody doing that, Paul said, I draw the line where God draws the line. 
What makes you do that? What makes you practice that kind of separation? The eternal way to glory. I look at this and I realize, well, Brother O'Malley, it might hurt to say that so-and-so's books are, are wrong or so-and-so's preaching on TV is wrong. Well, the fact is, as Paul said, the eternal weight of glory just took all of that, made it light, and I realize I have to make some changes in my life. It has to change the way I think. Thirdly, I look in verse number two, the last part of the verse, and it says... The third way that the eternal weight of glory influenced Paul. We saw one, it influenced his heart. Two, it influenced his mind. Three, it influenced Paul's will. Notice what he says. The last part of verse two. But, so the contrast is there. But by manifestation of the truth. The idea of manifestation is to make every detail known. To make it plain. So he said, I'm taking truth and I'm making it plain. I'm taking truth and I'm explaining it to everyone. I want them to know every detail. I'm taking truth and I'm bringing it to light. But to whom is he doing that or, or with whom is he doing that? But manifestation of, but by manifestation of the truth to commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, my will changed. Because if you remember everything Paul did, his will previous to salvation, previous to the eternal weight of glory, would have been, I want to persecute the church. I want to be a blasphemer. I want to be injurious to the church. I want to make people suffer who practice Christianity. Now Paul becomes a Christian, and what does he want to do? He said, I want to take what I have in my life and use my will for his will. To do what? To make the truth of the gospel plain, to make the truth of grace plain, to make the truth known to whom? Well, the Bible says to every man's conscience. It's interesting to me that he is using this word conscience because that is where we say, as we understand the parts of the heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, we say that that is the part of where a man understands what's right and what's wrong. And Paul said, I'm taking truth. Because of the eternal weight of glory, I'm taking truth. And I'm going to every man and manifesting, making truth plain to every man's conscience and let that man decide. Well, what changes your will from the bad guy's team to the good guy's team? Has to be the eternal weight of glory that Paul will write about at the end of that chapter. So I say to you tonight, how is the eternal weight of glory changing your life? Has your mind changed? Has your will changed? Has your heart changed? Or are you still hung up here on this side of the scale? Just saying, oh, yep, I'm counting my afflictions. Yeah, that was a bad one. That person hurt my feelings. Yep, the preacher hurt my feelings that day. Yep, my family hurt my feelings that day. Yep. See, I got all these problems up here. Y'all don't even care. You're not even praying for me. Preacher hadn't even called me to find out how I am. And I'm here at the house pouting. He ought to know I'm pouting. So why are you pouting? I'm counting afflictions. And I'm very busy with this. Don't bother me with church work. I got problems to count on. And I'm going to weigh these things out. And all the while, if we do that, all these weights... My heart's not changed. My mind's not changed. My will's not changed. And I'm focused on that. 
But when I consider the weight of God's glory, I realize that my afflictions can turn my mind, my heart, and my will the wrong way. I want a heart that's influenced by the weight of of the eternal weight of glory. I want a mind that's affected and influenced by the eternal weight of glory. And I want my will to be influenced by the eternal weight of glory. Do you? Would you stand with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, Brother Jackie probably pick a song of invitation if Brother Joe already hadn't picked it. Ask Brother Joe to come. Right now in your heart, this thing of the eternal weight of glory, it's not just something to say. It changed Paul. It changed his heart, his mind, and his will. Has it changed your heart? Has it changed your mind? Has it changed your will? Have you, are you doing something because the eternal weight of glory is present in your life? Or are you so busy hung up on your side of the scale that you've never bothered to consider God's weight? Your Father, tonight, I ask you to speak to our hearts. May we realize that this eternal weight of glory is not just something to hoot and holler about. It, it, it has to change us. And even when we don't want to change and we're, we're happy being powders and we're happy being whiners and we're happy being crybabies about things, may we be people who say, no, the eternal weight of glory is real in my life. And I, I want God's glory to change my will and my heart and my mind. God, may that be who we are as people here at Memorial. So with heads bowed, eyes 